Log Talk Radio. And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru. Wine Talk for today, Thursday, January 13, 2011. It's 7 p.m. Eastern, and I'm your host, Stu the Wine Guru, coming to you live from beautiful Coral Springs, Florida, as I always do. As you know, I'll take your calls anytime during the show at 1-646-381-4860 or email me your questions at info at com. You can also go into my chat room here on the show page and chat with other wine enthusiasts or tweet me any questions you like at StuTheWineGuru on Twitter, and I'll read them live on the show. I want to say thanks to all the listeners out there for getting the word out about my show. Welcome to all of you listening worldwide. I call that the power of the people meets the power of the Internet. Now, if you want to find out more about me, just Google Stu the Wine Guru. You can find the websites, the videos, the articles, the TV shows that I'm currently a part of. And speaking of articles and reviews, I'm writing wide articles and reviews for Yahoo and The Examiner. So look for those as well. In fact, all my wine articles are now available on any smartphone. Just download the Hello Vino app. And you can take my wine reviews and articles with you anywhere you go, right there in your phone. I've also made a Wine 101 video series that can be viewed just about anywhere on the Internet. YouTube, my website, many, many industry portals, and so forth. My latest one is on South African wines, and I highlight the Sauvignon Blanc of a fantastic new vintner, Seven Springs, from Hermanus West Cape Town area. 
check it out. It's a great new Sauvignon Blanc that they make. Hey, hi, this is uh, John Ratzenberger. When I'm not doing voiceovers for movies or doing commercials, I'm listening to Stu the Wine Guru. I suggest you do the same. No actual celebrities were used in the making of this promo. Only celebrity impersonators. So tonight, as part of my Top Chefs of the Nation series, my guest is a master sommelier working for probably one of the most historical hotels in the country. She's accomplished something that only, get this, 19 women can say they have accomplished in the world. She's a master sommelier and one of only 170 worldwide. That, to me, is a staggering stat, but I love that. That's fantastic. She's also the wine director for the historic The Breakers Hotel in Palm Beach. The name of this incredible wine expert, Virginia Phillip, and she'll be joining us shortly. As I always say, if you have any questions, I have answers. So get into the chat room, voice your opinion there. Of course, the number to call in is... 1-646-381-4860, or if you're shy and prefer the computer, email me your questions for both Virginia and I to info at suthewineguru.com. Of course, you can go into Twitter and tweet me some questions, and I'll read them live here on the show. Hey, this is Sly Stallone. You're listening to Stu the Wine Guru on blogtalkradio.com When I'm out making action pictures, I'm listening too. Right now, I'm sipping on a nice Tuscan red. No actual celebrities were used in the making of this promo. Only celebrity impersonators. First up, I want to thank the listeners who are following me on Twitter. I've said this many times over. I love social media. I can talk directly to my listeners and my guests alike. Um, you know, and the immediacy of the medium is fantastic. I like the ability to give updates in real time, and my guests are doing the same to promote the show. So, thanks to Twitter and social media. Some show notes. Uh, one thing you want to know, starting February 1st of this year, my show will go from 7 p.m. Eastern to 6 p.m. Eastern. So mark that on your calendars. It will also go from a 30, excuse me, a, a 60-minute show to a 30-minute show. I'm going to make it nice and tight and easy, action-packed, so be aware that you want to tune in at 6 p.m. Eastern rather than 7 p.m., or you'll miss the show. Uh, my next TV appearance will be on January 14th. That's tomorrow. I'll appear on NBC's South Florida Today to discuss my radio show, Wine and Food, and upcoming events I'll be a media sponsor for. Don't miss it. Fire up your DVRs. Next up, we'll, I'll be appearing on the CNBC world hit show, Wine Portfolio, with Jody Ness, the host. They came down here to Miami to have me show them around, all the great places for wine and food. This will air late this month, early February. I'll also be a guest on the Emmy Award-winning PBS show, Check, Please, South Florida. I'll be kicking off its fifth season. This will air on February 21st, 7.30 p.m., and I cannot wait for you guys to see these shows. There will be more TV appearances coming up, and I'll let you know via this radio show and Twitter as they happen. So uh, keep listening in and keep checking me out on Twitter at Stu the Wine Guru. For all of you wanting to know what events I'll be attending so you can meet up with me like my tweet bulls do on Twitter, January 27th through the 30th, I'll be a media sponsor covering the second annual Key West Wine and Food Festival. Come down, eat some great food. 
drink some great wine, and be sure to come see me. Say hi. February 23rd through the 27th, I'll be covering the 10th annual Food Network South Beach Wine and Food Festival. Cannot believe it's already been a decade. Wow. You have to check this event out. It's amazing. All the cool chefs, all the who's who in the wine industry, and of course, me. I'll be there. March 18th through the 20th, I'll be reporting on the Boca Bacanal event. Lots of good stuff happening in the first few months of the year down here in Florida. That's the schedule so far. Of course, keep listening here, and I'll keep you posted. And since I'm a media sponsor for the Key West Wine and Food Festival, I've worked out a great deal for my listeners. You can now purchase VIP passes and receive a $20 discount. All you have to do is use the code STWG during the checkout process. Keep listening in and following me on Twitter for more information. Remember, if you have questions, I have answers. So call me at 1-646-381-4860 or email me info at info at com. You can get into the chat room and voice your opinion, get in there with a lot of other good wine enthusiasts and find out more about what's happening. To learn, let's see, let me make sure everybody uh, knows the website they can go to to find out more about Master Sommelier, Virginia Phillip, go to www.thebreakers.com, T-H-E-B-R-E-A-K-E-R-S.com. Then click on Restaurants, and then L'Escalier to find out about her, the restaurant, and much more about what she's doing for the breakers. So without further wait, I want to bring on my guest for the evening, the Master Sommelier, Virginia Phillip. Virginia I want to thank you and welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to have you here. Um, So I'll tell you how this works. Uh, You may have asked Greg. He could tell you as well. (laughs) I've got uh, I've got questions from the that'll that'll come through the uh, Twitter from my uh, show page on the chat room area. Um, and questions I have for you, and of course questions that are emailed in from around the world. So I'm going to field them in no particular order. And um, you ready? Yes. Okay. Hold on to your share. Uh, so I, here's the, here's the first question I want to ask you because this is this is interesting to me. What is your earliest memory about wine? Hmm. Well, it would definitely be during a holiday or a Sunday around the table because my father was Italian, and he used to give us okay. small sip, sips of wine with mixed with water. Interesting. Wasn't that was an Italian wine, I take it? Sometimes it was Chianti, but invariably it was something like cold duck, which is terrible, but <laughs> it was the whole <laughs> family Sunday or holiday meal. Interesting. And Interesting. Yeah, you know, it's funny. The wild thing is, I have to say, you know, um, unfortunately, I say it this way because, you know, I understand there's people that uh, will abuse alcohol naturally, but there, you know, the stigma is, you know, if you go to it, you go to Italy or you go to Europe, you know, most people are brought up in that fashion, like you were in a sense, and um, have a healthy respect. I say most, not everybody, but most, and so therefore, you know, they learn to, uh, you know, really build a palate very, very early. So it's almost like you have a, a a built-in advantage if you know if you have European parents or they abide by let's say European ways per se you know um, whereas the stigma here is you know you have to wait till you're old enough and you know and you know, all the all the bad parts of what's great about enjoying wine uh, unfortunately sometimes it's it's taken to an extreme just one man's opinion on it just wanted to get that out there um, so. Let me ask, it is, first of all, I want to say it's an amazing accomplishment 
to reach the master sommelier level. Unbelievable. And my hat's off to you. If I had one on, I would be tipping it right now. Um, so tell my listeners what basically what one needs to go through to get to this level. You know, the tests that you know you have to do and so forth. Right. Um, well, you know, it's a British-based program that came to the States in the late 80s. And so when you choose to take the route of becoming a master sommelier, you, at that point, pretty much decide to put certain things on the back burner. For example, during the studying process, you don't watch TV, you go to work, and you either study before or after you come home from work, and you sort of dedicate yourself to this process of studying and tasting, tasting to the point where you actually don't always enjoy tasting wine because it's just that intense. But it, now it's, it's a little bit different. There's four stages, so you can kind of work your way through. But the first right. stage is the introductory course, which is two days and then a test at the end, which is just multiple choice. Uh, level two is one day, which is testing as well as tasting. And then from that point comes the advanced exam, which is much more challenging. That's a five-day program. And you have to pass all three parts, which is service, tasting, theory, and one go. And then from there you, you try for the diploma level, which is um, tasting, theory, and service at a, you know, a higher level. And you right. can pass one piece, but you have to pass in three years. Gotcha. Now, you know, the, the one thing, and you'll, and you'll um, I guess, back me up on this, the, uh, the nasal passages, when you're, 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 like, you're taking in the aromas, you know, your, your, your olfactory nerves and your nose uh, tires quickly, but it also recovers quickly as well. So I, I, I'm just thinking of just that process um, and, and that being a preview for what you're going to taste. I've always said this about, you know, your nose tells you what your, what your mouth is going to experience. But, but in essence, I, I can't imagine, I mean, to be able to identify, you know, to such depth, you know, I, the average person, you know, uh, thinks about it. It's got to be so daunting to be able to do that, I mean, and then do it over and over and over again. Um, and be able to do it, you know, blind taste testing. That's the other thing I wanted to ask about. So do you, how often do you do blind taste tests? And then do you still do them now that you've already uh, accomplished this, this level? Um, well, I mean, you, you, do, you would do blind tasting during the study process at least twice a week, uh, depending. And, you know, there's a variety of different ways you can do it. You can do it double blind, which is having six glasses and not knowing what they are. Or you can do blind, which is having a theme. could be all Chardonnays. Right. Uh, we, so, and what I found to be successful was sort of a mix between both styles. That, that was very helpful. Uh, but, you know, you, you're right, too. So 85% of what you taste does come from your nose. So if you have a cold the day you're actually sitting the exam, it can be challenging. Sure, sure, absolutely. And, and, and as I said, you know, the, you know, the nose tires quickly. But then again, it does, you know, it does come back and it does, um, you know, um, give you that ability again. It recovers. Uh, well, I, I just like I said, you're smelling a lot, and you need, you you get stuck, and you feel like you can't smell anything. You can either smell your clothing, which I know sounds bizarre, or your wrist because that brings it a different aroma profile, either perfume right. or detergent, and so it sort of brings you back to neutral territory. Interesting, because uh, not unlike the you know taking a cracker to cleanse the palate, right? Right, or sparkling water when you're tasting sort of to kind of liven up the palate a little bit. 
Right, right. So, you know, get the taste buds kind of going again. And like you said, I, I tell you, it's an amazing, amazing, amazing ability to, to, to be at, at the level you're at. I, I, I have to tell you, I think it's, I'm, I'm always dumbfounded when I, when I see people, even, you know, at the, at the more advanced level, but let alone at this. So, so this is, you know, fascinating to me and I know to my listeners. And so some of the questions I may ask, I, w- I want you to understand, I, I, w- I want people to understand it from that level. And it may be more rudimentary, but it, be- it gives people that, that uh, you know, kind of that information that they might need uh, and want to know about, you know, um, at your level. Um, so tell my listeners the proper etiquette for when you can send back a bottle of wine and when you can't. When to send back a bottle of wine and when you should not? Well, yeah, that the I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that if the sommelier recommends a bottle of wine to you and you don't like it, they should take it back. I think if the sommelier or if you order a bottle of 1982 Chateau Lafitte and the sommelier goes into great detail to describe it to you, and you understand that it's in a secondary or tertiary stage and it's, you know, a $4,000 bottle, that's more of a buyer beware. But what's more important is that once you're served the bottle and it's accepted and it's poured into three, four glasses, it becomes yours. It's one thing if you taste it and you turn it back straight away. It's another thing if it's poured into glassware and then you can't, you know, there's really nothing we can do with it at that point. That's what I wanted Does to do across sense? the, the- yeah, oh, absolutely. That's the proper etiquette because I don't think the average person, you know, first of all, people are obviously intimidated. The uh, the average person, the uninitiated, who goes into a, you know, and, and says, okay, tonight is the night I'm going to try to uh, demystify the wine list or I'm going to actually ask. And, you know, um, I think, you know, the the proper etiquette is important. People need to know, um, you know, they don't want to be make a blunder uh, where they where they send something back, you know, and and it, and it kind of is like, well, you know, one time is okay because maybe you you just didn't like the wine, but you know, more than once is not you know acceptable because just because you you know you keep finding that you don't like the wine and don't like the wine and don't like the wine, you know. So I guess I guess what I was trying to get across was just finding that happy medium and, and letting people know across the board what would be what would be proper etiquette and what wouldn't be proper etiquette, and that right, answers it not- very well. You won't always like the bottle of wine, and, and that's understandable. And, and I think most people in the industry, under you know, they appreciate that. But the idea is, is that you send it back, you know, almost straight away. Because most of the time, if you don't like the bottle and there's only two ounces poured out of it, we can pour it off by the glass or use it for staff training and try and recoup costs. But, again, once it's poured into several glasses, there's really nothing we can we can do with it at that point. Exactly, exactly. So do you ever get people who try to test your knowledge and think they are, you know, um, a lot more knowledgeable than they are or they're a know-it-all? I mean, I, I must I, – I kind of imagine you might get someone like that, that type of customer. How do you handle something like that? Well, I used to get it a lot uh, when I was on the floor working and uh, probably six, seven years ago. I was working the floor a lot more than I do now, and I would get it more frequently, especially being a woman. Right. I – it doesn't happen as often because I think the industry is sort of seasoned now to both women and the world of a sommelier. Mm-hmm. So it's gotten a lot better. Sure, people oh, still will always test knowledge, and, and they they should. They should ask a lot of questions, and we usually welcome that. Right. No, I mean, I, I guess what you know, what is the um, 
proper way to handle someone who, you know, is attempting to be a show-off, who doesn't really have that knowledge in front of you. And, you know, here you are, you know what they're saying is, you know, uh, categorically wrong, <laughs> you know, in front of their friends to you, as if, you know, they're, they're correcting you and you think to yourself, oh, gosh, this guy or this person really doesn't know what they're talking about. So I guess the idea is to just let it go and let them yeah, say whatever I mean, they're going to say. you're never going to win with a customer. The customer's always right, and... Right. It wouldn't really pay to to embarrass someone. You just sort right. of have to let them go and, you know, maybe just cautiously correct something that seems in particular very wrong. Right, right. That makes but sense. But other yeah, you just right. sort of let it go. Because wine is so subjective anyway, it's kind of hard sometimes. Absolutely. Everyone's palate is different. It's like looking at a, a work of art. You know, one, this man, one man's art is another man's junk. And so one man's palate and one person's palate is completely different. And I, you know, I tell people, and I think you would agree on that in, um, constantly, that, look, it's subjective, and you may not taste the profile, and you may not taste the things that I taste, or you may not um, sense in the nose the things that I sense. And it's not wrong that you don't. So... Oh, definitely not. I, think, I mean, that's sort of what it's all about. It's important, I think, to get that across to people because and I think that takes away that intimidation um, and at least brings it down a notch or two for people and anyone that's thinking, you know, I think I'm going to try this. I think I'm going to try to ask about this wine. I think I've heard about it somewhere or I want, you know, I want to try. Um, I, I, want, I guess what I'm trying to get across, I want to get across to people that are listening worldwide is that don't be intimidated at all. And, you know, sommeliers are there to help. And they, you know, and they want you to enjoy the experience. Ultimately, they want you to enjoy the experience of the wine that you drink with the dish that you may have or, what, you know, even if it's just drinking wine. Uh, at the table, so uh, you know, use them as an as, as an asset, and uh, and and you know, take them on in a friendly fashion. I think you know, I think you find that it's uh, it's nowhere near as intimidating as it is in your mind, right? Oh yes, I mean, I started off with white Zinfandel, so chances are, if you come into the Breakers and you order a glass of white Zinfandel, but you're open to opportunity, we're we're definitely going to steer you away from it because you know it's a starter wine. There's nothing wrong with it. The idea for sommeliers is to get people to drink wine first and foremost and then to educate and train them to try something new and hopefully they'll build a, you know, it's like a building block sort. You take step by step by step and eventually you're going right. to get to, you know, classified Bordeaux or Colt Cabernet or just a great bottle of Pinot. Absolutely. So I have a bunch of questions here that I want to uh, – I have the ones that I want to – I've been asking you the ones that I'm interested in knowing, but I'm also going to get to the ones right now that uh, people from – I've been getting in Fast and Furious uh, via, the, via email, and then there's some Twitter questions as well. So the first up is from Tim at Seven Springs from Hermanus West Cape Town, South Africa, and uh, he's a, a, a frequent contributor to my show, and I thank him. So firstly, my congratulations is what he says. Firstly, my congratulations at achieving the Master Sommelier Award at such an early age. My question is, when pairing a wine with a course at the Breakers Hotel, how often do you choose the same wine with the same course? And then it says, best wishes, Virginia, for a long and happy career, and I hope you get it to taste some of our wines when we export them to the U.S. He happens to have a Sauvignon Blanc that I did a review on, and it happens to be very, very nice. So I just wanted to get put that out there for him. But anyway, okay. if you want to answer the question. Uh, well, we don't use the same wine with every dish. We try to make it, uh, a, again, like a building block. The first course, 
should build onto the second course, to the final course, so that you get this great parting wine at the end. It's a progression of wines, if that makes sense. So exactly. if there's people at the table and four of them order different things, there's a good chance you're not going to get the same wine. But it, that doesn't mean you, you wouldn't get the same wine if some of the dishes were similar. So we pair all of our dishes in um, one of our flagship restaurants, L'Escalier, but then, we, of course, we have a tasting menu, and that's where we really break the dishes down and make sure we get the pairing exactly the way we want it. The trick with pairings is you have a wine that tastes like X. You have a dish right. that tastes like Y. But when you put the two together, the taste profile is so much better than either one, either the dish or the wine could have been on their own. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I liken it to this. The way I've, I've explained it, um, and this is just, again, my explanation, um, a Chardonnay, for instance, you know, uh, a nice, you know, maybe uh, oaky Chardonnay. Um, let's say you're having a lobster dish with, uh, you know, a buttered butter sauce, you know, that you can dip it in. Um, my thought for a good Chardonnay is it should be able to cleanse the palate so each bite of that uh, lobster tastes like the first bite. That's just, I mean, that's just been my way of explaining it. And I think people kind of get it in that sense and that, what you're trying to accomplish is, is that the, the wine enhances, as you were saying before, the lobster, and the lobster enhances the wine. And the sum of the parts uh, work better together. Right. That's exactly Makes right. Sense? Oh, good. Hey, wow. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I and feel a whole lot better. It's not rocket science. I mean, you can do this at home. Just, you can be cooking and sort of playing around with wines and, you know, throwing exactly. it in a soft pan and drinking it. And it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. I just wanted to say it's, it's nice to hear from someone of your level that what I've been saying was, you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> the only way to put it. Um, so, yeah, so let me let me go back to some other uh, questions here that were – so I want to thank Tim uh, of Seven Springs and Hermanus. Thank you again uh, for your question. The next one is from Ticos Verde from Lima, Peru, and it says, Stu, this is a very enjoyable show. This is my second time listening to your show. My question for Ms. Phillips is, Philip is, um, how do you keep track of all the wines at the restaurants and know all their flavor profiles? Thank you for the opportunity to ask my question. Well, that's, that's actually a very good question because, you know, you have a lot to keep up with. Yeah, that is a very good question. I'll be honest, when I was younger... <laughs> I could keep track of all the wines pretty easily, but now I have to take very good tasting notes. And I have a building bank of notes and why the dish works with a particular wine. And we we keep it on file. The sommeliers create it, and, and that's pretty much how you do it because you, you can't remember everything. It gets to be challenging after a while. I, I, I would imagine. And I just want to let yeah. everybody know. I want to let everybody know that, that you are um, responsible and preside over the resorts collection, which now, oh, I don't know as of whether this is actually accurate, maybe more or less, uh, it's now numbering 28,000 bottles. That's I, correct. I, that, that's a staggering number. <laughs> it's just a staggering number. I mean, it's just, you know, when you look at that, you go to yourself, okay, you know, you have a collection, you, you think of it, you put it in perspective of, let's say you have your own collection, it's a couple hundred bottles, and you think to yourself, you know, I have trouble keeping up with that, let alone 28,000. But, yeah, I guess the computer helps. 
and having uh, having listings of, of those Mind-boggling those at times. And some of it's What's in future, so it's not on the list. But, you know, I have a great team. I have five sommeliers that work with me, and they're, right. they're fantastic. So as a team, we kind of get it all done. That's good. And, then, and again, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, um, having a team like that uh, is so essential, I would imagine, to, to be able to do that. I, I can't imagine that they, you know, one person alone would be, you know, having to be responsible. You could just do that. that would be, if that was just your job, you know what I mean? You could have a job just doing that, um, let alone doing everything else that you have to do, uh, working the various different restaurants and, and you know, in Lascalier and so forth. So um, let me go to another, let's see, this is another emailed question. Next one is from Tamhip11 from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. It says, Stu, you are very wise about wine. Oh, thank you. Um, I like your show. Please ask Virginia if she has any thoughts on the Chinese buying up all the Bordeaux wines and its impact <laughs> on the industry. <laughs> okay, many, and it says many thanks, Tam. Okay, Tam, thank you for, for sending that, that email in from Kuala Lumpur. And um, your thoughts, Virginia, on the Chinese buying up all the Bordeaux wine? Well, I mean, he's, he's correct in that um, yes. the Asian market has become very influential in the wine market, especially in particular to blue chip Bordeaux and, and Burgundy. Um, yes. What do I think about it? I think that everybody's had their full chance at uh, kind of, commanding the market. It was the Brits at one point and then the U.S., yes. and so now we have China. They have a huge population, so even a tiny percentage of them drinking wine is fairly influential. <clears throat> I don't have an issue with it. I think it will be something that will be very predominant over the next three to five years, and then we'll probably taper off. I, I agree with you uh, because I think it's like anything. It's a cycle, and people are hot for Anybody is hot for a particular wine. That's what they do. That's what they buy, and then they move on to some other region um, and buy that wine because you know just it, it's like anything. You you know you you can't buy. It's just like going into a, a Baskin Robbins. That's why there's 31 flavors. Um, you can go in there and have you know you just won't eat the same flavor over and over and over and over again. Just like you wouldn't just go and drink the wines of one region over and over and over again forever. Um, because it just wouldn't make any sense. You, you, know, you wouldn't be expanding your palate. And I think any wine uh, enthusiast worth their salt uh, you know, wants to expand the palate always and uh, wants to learn about things from other regions always. You know? um, well, I mean, I would definitely argue that as far as a commodity, it's, it's made wine definitely more challenging to purchase. I mean, if, if we look at futures in particular, of course, we know that the 2009 vintage of Bordeaux was phenomenal. And Absolutely. so it is a bit sad and definitely disappointing. We did we did participate in the 2009 futures game, but we did buy a lot less first gross and more seconds through fifths because we right. didn't afford it. I mean, even the breakers, it, if you look at your return on investment strategy, it just wasn't feasible to buy those wines, whereas in the past we always have. Sure, and because you'd have to think about what you'd be charging, one per bottle and two per glass. And it wouldn't. It would be cost prohibitive to do that. So, um, right. And I think and, you know, that live pretty much sold out Lafitte before it even hit the market. At, uh, they right. were selling some some wine before it even was actually released. I'm so hearing about that. Very, yeah. yeah, a very very good question, Tam. Very excellent question. I'm glad you uh, brought that up. So the next one is from Henri Vin from Brussels, Belgium. It says, "Stu, you have a great guest tonight. Thank you. Thank you for her." <laughs> Thank you for her. I like that. 
Thank you, Virginia. Thank you, Virginia, for being you. Um, he says, I'd like to ask, says, I'd like to ask Virginia if she found it harder being a woman in, in accomplishing all her accomplishments in what might be considered a man's industry. Thank you for this chance to ask a question. You know, I, and I'm sure you've gotten asked that question, you know, before. So, but I mean, it's it's worth, it's definitely worth addressing. Well, I mean, it's 2011. I passed in 2002, and it was a much, much different world. It was certainly more male-dominated, and I think because women are expected to have children, and so working at night and weekends can be very challenging. Um, it was intimidating, Absolutely. but it's not, not nearly as much so now. Yeah, I, I think there's been a bit of an evolution. Would you, would you not agree um, in that the industry has evolved? Um, I, from my stats, 70% of the wine consumers uh, in restaurants and, 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 and retails are women. Um, you know, there, there's a very high percentage, uh, at least from what I've, I've read stats-wise. Now, again, if you believe the stats, I, I, you know, I think there's been a uh, almost a renaissance over the past maybe 10 years uh, in that um, it used to be the man would come into, a, let's say, a restaurant and would order the wine um, because he had the, no the knowledge. And I think that's changed so dramatically. And at 10 years, I think that would really be – that's a little too – a uh, small amount of time. I think it's maybe even longer than that. It's probably been over the past 20 years. Um, and also look at the, all the winemakers that are women that have gotten involved over the past 20 years or so um, who make great wine in Napa uh, and, and all over the place and, you know, in France, everywhere. So uh, I think it's just a testament. So I, I would imagine that, like you said, uh, it might have been more difficult at one time, but it's not, uh, it, it's gotten less so and um, over, the, over the course of, of a very short period of time, correct? Right. Well, I remember when I first started working at the Breakers at the end of 2000, and I started to really get out into the Florida market in 01, and I would purposely not wear my name tag because I wanted to see how I would be treated, A, if I didn't, I did, they didn't know I was coming from a top account, and B, because I was a woman. And, sure. Um, I would have to say that I was not treated by everyone as nicely as I would have liked to have been, and that I was actually chased down halfway across the room several times when people found out who I was because wow. they realized I'd been a bit abrupt or basically ignored me when I was trying to get a taste of wine. So I don't <laughs> think that that happens nearly as much. Um, but I do remember passing my MS in 02 and then going three weeks later to compete for Best Sommelier U.S. in yes. New York. And I was one of 30 contestants or 31, and then we were two women, and I was extremely overwhelmed and very intimidated by all the men in the room. And, you know, they were they were very, very supportive of um, my that I won. It was it was very refreshing to see that happen. So I think right. things have definitely changed for the better. Okay, well that's that's great to hear. So I've got a a caller that uh, let's just see. Um, we'll take we'll take a call here. Hold on. Hi, caller. What is your name and where are you calling from? I'm calling from uh, the eastern part of the United States, and you can say the name that you see on the screen. I am one angry Jew, but I have a question. Oh. I've started drinking wine late in life, and I've really started enjoying it. Uh, and I, I purchased, uh, I got lucky, I purchased some real good ones uh, from the, uh, we, we have um, state-controlled liquor in this state. So I, okay. I, made some, I made some very good purchases, but here's my question. 
and maybe you get this question, but I'm betting you don't. Uh, I've heard the stories about the really inexpensive wines. Some of them are quite good. Which ones do you like? Oh, okay. I think Spain is definitely a great venue for bargain wines. Spain and, and parts of France and certainly parts of Italy too, but um, I'm a firm believer that you, you don't need to spend a lot of money to get a decent bottle of wine. $12 okay. and under is possible. Yeah, let me tell you what I bought for $11 at the local state store here. I, I walked in and I just happened to pick it off the shelf by accident. Uh, it caught my eye. It wasn't didn't have a flashy label. It was uh, a Villa Pozzi, P-O-Z-Z-I, uh, 2008 an Italian red wine, and it was quite very, very good. In fact, I bought it several times after that. And so when you're saying that uh, a good bottle of wine should cost about 11 bucks, what about the stuff that's even cheaper than that? Um, I think there's a threshold for inexpensive wine. I think, you know, beyond the $7 marker, you, you know, it becomes, as you drink more wine, you kind of develop this, um, light bulb, and, and I like to use a lot of people I know as this as this um, comparison, but for example, I have a twin sister who's not nearly as educated as I am about wine, but through just the years of her tasting with me, she can now, she'll know if she's ordered a glass of champagne and they've given her Prosecco, or she'll know, she'll say, for example, Saturday night we were tasting a bottle of Pinot that I was trying out. I didn't say a word to her, and she said, that is not of good quality. She just knew. And I think the more you drink, you can tell when it's average commercial quality, I think, versus a well-made wine. And where do you think yeah. most of the well-made wines are coming from these days? You can get a well-made wine anywhere. I guess if you take a look at parts of Italy or parts of Australia, I mean, you can get a great wine from Australia for bucks, and you can get a horrible wine for $12. So I think it's all in the craftsmanship and what they're using and how they're making the wine. You know, higher yields, oak chips. It's just that, you know, taste, that smell. It's almost confected kind of sweet. Does that make sense? Yes. And I guess the last question. You know? I guess the last Overall question. Wine, minerality and earthiness, but if they're not balanced, if the oak is too much or there's not enough fruit, then it's just out of whack. May, may, may I make a suggestion to you, actually? Can I just make a, a, a real suggestion to you? Actually, there are two two wines I can make a suggestion to you. One, actually, that's under, probably under the, the $10 mark, somewhere around the 8 or 9 A Columbia Crest actually makes one that's pretty decent. It's a, uh, it's a blend. Yeah. And it's, uh, yes, and it's a Vineyard 10 uh, Red. Um, and um, I, I want to say it's, uh, I think it's Sangiovese and... Um, Sangiovese and, and Syrah, I believe, and Cab. I think it's What's the name great. of it? It's called Vineyard 10 Red from Columbia Crest. I'm going to say, depending on where you are, I know down here in South Florida it's about $8 a bottle. I'd say up north might be 10 But for the okay. money, okay. Prob probably one of the better under $10 mark um, wines. And then about the $12 mark, $12, $13 mark, I would recommend, actually, you were talking about Australia, Virginia, um, Clancy's Red from um, from Peter Lehman. It's called Clancy's oh, Red, he, also a blend. Clancy, like P-L-A-N-T-Y? No, no, Clancy's, C-L-A-N-C-Y, apostrophe S. Ah. Clancy's Red. And let me, let me ask you, and I wrote that down, by the way, and I thank you. Let me sure, ask sure. you a question about 
What, what, what's your opinion of some of these wine companies, like My Wines Direct? And I'll tell you, I bought a, uh, I got one of those Groupon things to come in the mail where they could be half off. And I ended up getting six bottles delivered, I think, for $40. One of them was, uh, uh, who's the lady, the uh, the skater, Kathy, uh, the Jenkins Jenkins Winery. Uh, I might be missing it. Uh, it's called... Um, oh, is it Peggy Fleming's wine? Yeah, Peggy Fleming's. I thought it was fantastic. Her red wine was... I've not tried it. Was quite Nor good. Nor have I. Well, they sent, they sent within the pack... It was six bottles. It was three red, three white. Uh, to this particular state, they have, I think, regulations on what they can send. But it, it arrived at the door, uh, UPS, within a day, and it was a uh, one white. It was Peggy Fleming, right? It was Peggy uh, Peggy Fleming's wine called Victories, and it was a white and a red. And I thought they were both fantastic. In fact, the, yeah, the selection. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Virginia. No, I was just going to say I think the wine clubs are a great way for people to kind of introduce themselves to product they wouldn't normally try because you get something that isn't necessarily on every shelf in every supermarket or retail store. It's not even absolutely. something I could find here locally. Yeah, absolutely. You, no, I was going to say, too, I think I think it's great. In fact, I, I think it gives you a chance to, to try something, and, um, you know, you never know. It's all back down to your palate, as we were saying before. It's all subjective. So if you – what's the best wine is that – the old adage is what's the best wine? The wine that you're drinking, the one that you like. You know, that's really what it comes down to. Of course, there's definitely recommendations out there that you can, you can take. But, you know, um, you know, as long as you're not spending an arm and a leg and you're getting no, a chance I got, to try – I got six bottles of wine for $40. That's what I was going to say. So sometimes it's a hit or miss. Sometimes you get something that's really, really good, and you you like it, and you and enjoy every it. Every one of no. them, every one of them, I thought was a, a hit right out of the ballpark. That's great. Uh, it started out with a, a white wine uh, called um, Origami, mm-hmm. which you know, and these are the things you you walk into a store and you look at the bottles of wine, and everything's got a flashy uh, uh, label to it. It, it everything has uh, some strange name. And I guess the thing that caught my eye on that Villa Posi was just it was just understated. It wasn't trying to make a big, uh, it wasn't trying to leap out, leap off the shelf at you right. as you're walking by. But it's very difficult to know what to buy. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I, I hate to cut you short because I have some other uh, questions to ask and some people that are are, are uh, emailing in. So I want to thank you very, very much for calling in and calling anytime you like. And uh, thank, thanks again for for all your questions and. And your participation in the show tonight. I appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. Angry Have at a great all. Evening. Well, not when I'm drinking. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you're very, you're, you're opposite of what your names denotes. But anyway, well, thanks so much. Sometimes that's that's effective. I imagine. Thank like you. The la- thank like you. the labels on many wines, right? <laughs> Have a good evening. Take care. So anyway, um, let me just go to some of the Twitter sphere and get some questions answered from, uh, let's see. So I have uh, Divino Italy, um, and, from Italy, from uh, Campania. And she has a couple questions. Her first question is, um, which do you remember is the best wine and food pairing um, that you've ever done at home, not in a professional environment? Do you have a wow. particular one uh, that you remember that you said, you know, this is great. I tell you, this worked out. As good as I expected, better than I expected. I guess I'm I'm just trying to, you know, interpret her question. I'm trying to remember. That would be 
really hard to do. Um, sure. I guess probably. Hmm. Yeah, th- there would be too many for me to even recall. Because generally speaking, okay. what I'm doing is is buying food and then a bottle, and mm-hmm. just hoping it works. I'm, I'm just trying to really struggle now to think what sure. that could have been. It would it could have been anything because I try so many different wines. But oh, I'm, sure. Yeah, I think sometimes trying red wine with fish can be very surprising. Like a Especially pinot with the, a salmon, with a with a uh, like salmon or uh, with a something like that. Rioja with a more pungent fish. You know, you wouldn't think that it would work, but it actually does. Sure. Well, there you go. That's that's one question that she asked, and then the other question is uh, millennials and wine. Um, an easy approach or a more responsible behavior? What about Italian wine? Is this in this context? That's what she's saying. I think um, millennials are, are more apt and definitely more willing to try anything, and they're willing to spend a little bit more too. I agree. So I think Italian wines are definitely fair game for sure. Most definitely, and and you know, there's a lot of good, as you were mentioning before, there's a lot of good, there's good value and good buys, you know, just in almost in any region. Um, you know, just kind of have to, have to look for it and take a chance and try. You know, um, it's such a different world today because you've got iPodcasts, you can download anything on your iPhone or your your BlackBerry. You can look at you know top chef or top bartender or top whoever. So it's just isn't it amazing? World. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. I have to tell you. What, what you're able to do these days. So uh, let me go back to some of my questions here. Uh, let me see if there's another uh, – well, there's another email question. Let me just see. Do we have another email question? Uh, let me go to my questions, actually. Um, so traditionally, there are certain wines that go with certain types of dishes, traditionally. So with the food industry evolving so rapidly, how do you keep up with wine pairings? I mean, uh, here we are talking about – almost that kind of a, a, an adjunct to that question she asked you. How do you keep up with it? Because it's, a, you know, with uh, molecular gastronomy and, you know, all the different nouvelle cuisine and so on. How do you keep up with it? You just have to taste all the time. You have to be very right. open to tasting a lot and tasting anything. Every time I go to a restaurant, every time I'm at someone's house, um, whenever I'm traveling abroad, I'm always looking at dishes and wine and why they work. And generally speaking, the wine that tends to work best is with the food that's grown in that area. Okay. Really not so, Interesting. Okay, so that that's kind of the way that works. All right. That, that kind of makes sense. Um, here's a question. Who has been your biggest influence in the wine world? I imagine it had to be My someone big- that you – yeah, I would have to say that um, Andrew Bell from New York City was my uh, first mentor, and he was extremely instrumental in my success. I would have to say he was definitely the most influential. He's probably and, not and, as well-known as many. I've, I was also helped with, by Doug Frost and uh, Andrea Emma Robinson, but uh, Andrew Bell and Roger Dagorn were the start. And explain where 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 they would have uh, you know they come from where they originate out of and 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 in what way they were helping you. Um, well, Andrew is in charge of the sommelier uh, used to be in charge of the sommelier society of America. He was he's based in New York. He owns his own distribution company. And uh, when I was living in San Antonio, Texas, which was fairly isolated at that time as far as wine was concerned, I signed up for an uh, on, not an online course but a correspondence course 
that I saw advertised in Sante magazine, and it was through the American Sommelier Association. And I signed up, and they canceled the correspondence course, and he said, I have two choices. I can give you back your money, or I can tutor you myself. And I said, I will have you tutor me yourself. <laughs> and wow. that's what he did. Nice. Very interesting. I mean, and, and that's not really heard of. That doesn't happen. I want people to understand that that doesn't go on in the, you know, in the wine world where people just take it on and do it themselves. You know, um, you know, un- that would have been that could have gone in a whole different way, I imagine. And you may have c- become the master sommelier much later on in life, or maybe not. No. Uh, probably not. I mean, he, Dave, uh, he and Roger sat me down and said, "You are extremely talented and." You should consider becoming a, a master sommelier, which which I did. So it was great. And he always and says, "Mentee surpassed the mentor." So <laughs> the the student has now become the master. Um, so, what do you think of the social media explosion of personalities in the wine world? You know, I mean, you know, there's so many out there. What, what what's your take on them? Uh, you know, and, and just you don't have to give name names or you know. But just what is your take on the whole social media explosion? I think that um, bringing wine into everybody's home and making it very accessible is is a great thing for the average American person because it brings wine down to a very basic level. I think where it becomes prohibitive is where you get a little bit of, um, I wouldn't say snobbery, but I, I think people have to be careful and be cautious when they give their personal opinions on wine versus at a subjective opinion. Absolutely, and, and that's important. I, and I'm I'm always saying, as you'll hear me say it over and over again, I write wine reviews and articles and all that. And anywhere I go on television, uh, the key thing that I try to get across, as I mentioned earlier at the top of the show, it's subjective, people. It's my palate. Um, this is my perspective and my feelings on it. Um, and anything that you taste or don't taste, not wrong or right. It's just what it is, you know. So. Um, you know, you can t- kind of glean what you want from it. Uh, and if you like something that's, uh, you know, more fruit forward, great. Then this would, in my opinion, this would be a good wine. Um, if you don't, um, something more oaky and uh, and more dry, uh, this would be a better way to go. And again, just, I, I, think you're, I think you're right. I think people who are journalists uh, and are in the social ether have to walk that line when they're, you know, when they're explaining about or giving opinion. So um, I think it's kind of like they just in, in broadcast journalism, it's the same thing. Is you know you don't want to hear someone giving their opinion about a particular um, you know broadcasting on television about a particular event going on. You don't you know you want to hear what's happening, the facts. You don't want to necessarily have to hear you know their particular opinion about it. You want to hear what the facts are, and then then you make your uh, you know your assessment from that. So I think it's kind of similar in the sense that you want to keep you know kind of keep it. Keep it so real and keep it. On occasion, I, when you know someone's watching football, I hear a commentator make, "Oh, you know, I could have done it this way, or I could have done it that way," and I just want to smack them and say, "Well, <laughs> could you really?" Stop being an armchair quarterback. <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. So, someone from the uh, chat room, uh, guest seven eight five five, you know who you are. We'll put it that way. Says, "Which wines are best consumed at room temperature?" Uh, well, yeah, room temperature, it depends on what your room temperature is. If you're talking about a big full-bodied red and it's 68 to 72 degrees, that's that's probably 
right. If it's, you know, a Pinot or Chianti, then you probably want to be in the upper 50s, lower 60s. And then I always tell people, which I think they find surprising, that wines like Port or Sherry or Madeira, which generally have a higher alcohol level, should have a, a chill on them because otherwise Absolutely. it just, you know, accentuates the alcohol if it's not served with a little bit of a chill. That being said, if you're having a big, heavy, oaky Chardonnay, which you were alluding to earlier, you wouldn't want it to be too cold because then you wouldn't be able to taste it. It would mask all the flavors. Right. And interestingly enough, I, I, I tell you, um, there's a, a major difference in the taste profile between tasting a sherry um, at room temperature, unless you say the 68 to 72, and, and the 58 to, you know, to 60. It's amazing the difference what comes out, the taste profile, completely different, at least in my, in my experience. I don't know. Do, do you feel the same way? Oh, yes. I mean, we, um, we, we try and do a lot of training at the breakers, and we, we, honestly, we, we do a great job with that, but we can't get everywhere. And I have to constantly remind people to please make sure they're serving the port and the sherry at the correct temperature because right. it's, it's just not complementary to the, to the wine at all. So guess 7855, I hope that uh, answered your question. Oh, wait, we've got another one from guest 7855 in the chat room. Uh, go ahead, I don't mind. It says, I have another question if you don't mind. But go ahead, you'll ask that question. Um, in the interim, um, while I'm waiting for that question from them, uh, my question is, um, if you could have changed careers and been anything else, what would you have been? Advertising executive. <laughs> Really? There's something about advertising, creating commercials or creating something in print that I find really interesting. I think you have to have a very imaginative, pro, you know, outlook on life to be able to do that. I, I think like that's, slogans and slogans and and and, and uh, great commercials, anything in right. print that's captivating, brand image. That's all sort of unique. Right. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I, I've always, I had thought about that as well. It's an interesting uh, parallel. Um, and the question from 7855 was, I get three glasses of wine from one bottle. I usually store it at room temperature. Uh, which wines would you not store for three days? His bottle. Uh, well, if he's only getting three glasses, he definitely has a big glass. <laughs> yes, he has a, a heavy yeah, pour. Super, super sized pour in there. But... Um, it depends. If you pump the wine and you put it in the refrigerator for three to five days, you should be okay. I'm not sure. Champagne, I find, doesn't really hold very well. Right. Um, I think high acid whites generally do. Big high alcoholic reds, I find, like Zinfandel, might fall apart. Right. Okay. So there you go. Um, hopefully that answers that answers your question. Um, so I like to ask this question of sommeliers. If we knocked on your door at home tomorrow, and looked at your wine collection, what would we find? Well, hold on. We're outside your door right now. Hold on. Okay, we're coming in. What would we find? Everything. <laughs> okay. A little of everything. I, mean, anything... I, I don't keep a lot of wine at my house because it's South Florida, so I have a locker, but there's champagne in there. There's Bordeaux. There's Burgundy. There's California. There's Spanish, Italian, Austrian, there's a little of everything in there. You never gotcha. know what you're going okay. to feel like. Absolutely, absolutely, and and, and it's it's nice that it's. A, I would imagine it would have to be a broad range with you. I can't imagine you just being, you know, 
hooked on one particular type of wine or, or like the taste of only one thing. Um, I, I think that's the, the beauty of wine in itself is that you can go your whole life, like I've said, and, and never taste the same two wines twice. And it's that journey of trying to that uh, is amazing about it. Um, we, we only have a couple have minutes left. So. Burgundy in the closet, that's for sure. I'm a Pinot drinker, drinker so I, if I could have a bottle of Pinot, that would be my first preference. Okay. I, and, and same here, by the way. I love I love Pinots, Oregon and uh, Russian River, and um, I like the differences and nuances. And of course, you know, Burgundian uh, from you know from Bourguignon and all that. Um, I only have a couple minutes left, so I'm, I guess what I'm going to ask I'm just going to have a couple more questions, maybe one or two. Um, so, what are some some things sommeliers do that are common mistakes? Huh. Well, I think that initially when you're a younger sommelier, you buy wine that suits your personal preference and not a, not the customer. And so that's generally more ego-driven. And, and as we get older and more experienced, we realize that uh, that's not the right thing to do. Right. Okay, so that's that's the common mistake. And then and I guess the question is, uh, on the other end of the coin, what makes a great sommelier? What are the key elements? that? What would you say to an upcoming sommelier who's training who wants to know from your level what would make them what would make them kind of rise above the rest of the fray uh humbleness there you go in one word i like that yeah because you know it doesn't make sense that you know i i go back to the same thing it's intimidating to the novice and the uninitiated enough to have a wine menu in front of you if you don't really have that much of a grasp on wine and then have to actually ask a sommelier and talk to them. So if you come at them, the approach is humble as opposed to cocky and, you know, know it all, I would imagine you, you win over people, you know, a lot faster uh, and, you know, and people want to come back and enjoy the experience with you again because they feel comfortable. So I only have two more minutes left here. I want to tell everybody, is there any um, anything going on at uh, at the Breakers, anything at the L'Escalier, anything that you want, wine events that you want to let everybody know about? Sure. We're doing a uh, tasting with the winemaker and CEO of Plump Jack on January 24th. We don't have very many seats, but we do have some. We're going to be tasting five wines. It's $65 per person inclusive. We are doing Jean-Luc Colombo on February 15th. Same sort of setup. Uh, Joy Sterling from Iron Horse is joining us February 24th, and then we have Chris Olney from Ridge Winery coming March 8th to do a full-blown dinner with us, which we're really excited about. Excellent, excellent. So I want everybody to go to www.thebreakers.com and click on the restaurants, and then L'Escalier to learn more about Master Sommelier Virginia Phillip, the restaurant, and more. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. You've been a phenomenal guest. I have to have you on again because I have so many more questions uh, to ask you. Uh, so, um, you know, we'll have to do that. And, um, I, I, again, I, I appreciate everything that you do. I, I look forward to coming there again. My my wife and I came on our honeymoon um, many moons ago and uh, enjoyed our time there. So um, I'm going to have to make it another uh, – my business again to, to come up to to see you and say hi and, and, uh, and have a drink with you. Well, we'll definitely look forward to it. Thank you very much, and Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to you. Thanks so much. Have a great evening. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye, Virginia. So that was Virginia Phillip, Master Sommelier of the Breakers, 
wine director for them and all the restaurants and hotel uh, parts of the hotel. Uh, that's the show for tonight. I want to thank everybody who called in, who listened in, who emailed, who tweeted questions, who who uh, guessed 7855 from the uh, chat room. Thank you very, very much, and I hope you come back again uh, each week. I want to especially thank Master Sommelier Virginia Phillip. Uh, as always, if you have any questions about the show, you can email them to info at stewthewineguru.com. You can go to my website as well at www.stewthewineguru.com and click on the link for all my wine articles, videos, and listen to archived wine talk shows. You can tweet me questions at stewthewineguru at any time for me or my guests, and I'll get you answers. As I always say, if it's time to pour the wine, it's time for Stu the Wine Guru. Drink up, good night, and good wine. And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening.